I'm Chelsea Fairless. And welcome to another episode of Every Outfit On and Just Like That, where we have watched and just like that, and now we're going to be bitches about it? (laughs) I mean, I think we're speaking truth to it. We're fans at the end of the day. What was this week's episode called? Uh, it was... (laughs) Neither of us know. (laughs) No, it was called, uh, Some of My Best Friends Are Dot Dot Dot. Okay. I think speaking to Charlotte's plot line. Yeah, yeah, I, I I got that. I got that. Before we get into this episode, shall we get into some of the calls we've gotten this week? Let's do it. Hey, this is Bridget from Chicago. So one thing I noticed about the Miranda in the Starbucks scene is that she ordered a refresher. And as a former Starbucks employee, I know that that's the one drink you can mix vodka with and have it be like a tasty mixer. So when I saw that scene, I thought of it as she had the little bottles in her backpack. And while Charlotte wasn't looking, emptied them into her cup while they're waiting in the Starbucks. And that's why they're still in her bag and not in the trash. I love this hot tip from a Starbucks insider. Like I've never ordered a refresher before, but I may start now. And when I do, I will definitely be adding Tito's vodka into the mix. You would have to pour out some of the refresher before putting the vodka in, right? One would think also it's like if you're at the point of alcoholism where you're spiking your Starbucks drinks in the middle of the afternoon, like you're aware that you're an alcoholic. Whereas I don't know if Miranda's come to that place yet. She hasn't bottomed out yet. Excuse you, Chelsea. I think you mean high functioning alcoholic. Well, I'm just saying even high functioning alcoholics, like when they're pouring their little Tito's vodkas into their Starbucks, they're like, I I have a problem and I'm going to be actively trying to conceal this. You know, like when you get coffee, when you get like a roast, a medium roast or a French roast or something, and they ask you room for milk and you go, yes, is it like room for vodka in my refresher? I don't know. Ask a Starbucks employee. I mean, also, I can't remember if we've discussed this on the podcast before, but someone posited the theory to us that Miranda and Che are both going to bottom out simultaneously and then connect in an AA meeting, or I guess in Che's case, NA. Although, do potheads dare set foot in a Narcotics Anonymous meeting? I don't know. Like, inquiry minds need to know. I get the vibe that Che could kind of be like Helena Bottom Carter in Fight Club and they just go to meetings just to like get a contact high over other people's trauma and misery. (laughs) Okay, that's dark. I I would love for them to get into that on the pod. Okay, we have to talk about Charlotte picking up the dog poop. Nobody does that. Nobody cradles the actual poop, holds the poop. You hold the very tip top of the plastic bag where you tied the knot. You don't touch the poop. It's warm. No one trusted the plastic is keeping the nasty dog poop away from your hand. Watch it again. She touches it about 10 times. She cuddles it. She keeps moving it around in her hands. I I can't. I'm so grossed out. So Chelsea and I both have dogs and we can speak truth to power that, yeah, you you don't touch the poop side of the bag. Yeah, it's gross. The caller's right. It is warm. 
it's nasty. I will say that I did rewatch this scene and I wouldn't say that she's caressing the poo bag, but she isn't holding it by, by the excess at the top. She's cradling the poo. Yeah. I mean, that's something that you're immediately trying to get rid of. Anyway, this caller is correct. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. And lastly. Hi, Lauren and Chelsea. I can't be the only person thinking about this or I feel crazy, but I feel like there are so many similarities with Big's death in this series and the death of Joan Dillion's husband, Gregory Dunn, in her book, The Year of Magical Thinking, like the heart attack, the first name, the um, Upper East Side apartment, Carrie being a cool customer, and in the latest episode, I noticed she was getting out a white book out of her bag, and I got really excited that it was the year of magical thinking, but it was actually a white teeth, and I just think she should read it, and it would be good for her. Anyway, love the show. Bye. Thank you to this caller. I know that we've referenced the year of magical thinking on this podcast before. And yes, the more that I watch this show, the more that I am reminded of it, particularly because Joan Didion's husband did die of cardiac arrest in a very fancy uptown apartment. But unlike Joan, Carrie or Caroline, which we'll get into, probably will not write one of the most fundamental books about grief to ever be written. I think she will because, okay, Carrie's obviously in a bit of a professional slump. She's not exactly Joe Rogan, if you know what I mean. (laughs) You can't afford to keep Samantha on as her publicist. And so it seems like writing a grief memoir is her ticket to getting back on the New York Times bestseller list. Oh, God. What is that pun going to be? Grief in the city? Goodbye, lover. I mean, (laughs) goodbye, lover does have Joan Didion, goodbye to all that energy behind it. And it is uh, reminiscent of Carrie's signature catchphrase. Oh, I thought you were going to maybe say if we're like riffing on Joe Didion titles, like slouching towards East 83rd Street. What was slouching towards Barney's bitch? (laughs) Slouching towards Barney's is an excellent book title. Someone should really take that. I think we should mention that Joan Didion is no longer with us. I mean, December 2021 has been a really terrible month for female writers. I mean, we've lost Joan, Eve Babbitts, Bell Hooks, Anne Rice. Like, it's fucked. What is a gothy, angsty, metropolitan city living or aspiring white girl supposed to do now? I think someone needs to get like Fran Leibovitz on some sort of like 24 hour watch because I need to make sure that she makes it through this month alive and well. I did want to mention last episode, but I think this is a good sort of intro for it. I don't know how you're feeling, Chelsea, but I do find myself not really invested in Carrie's grief story, which I is odd because the Mr. Big character has been around as long as Carrie has. But I've realized that, you know, Michael Patrick King, who's the showrunner, always knew that Carrie would end up with Big and has done interviews right after the series ended that really they were biding their time until they knew the series was going to end and they were going to get the character together, those two characters together, which they Mm -hmm. did until the very last scene (laughs) of the series. And then you go to the movie and you're supposed to understand they've been together for four years, but 
like with the second film and like with the first episode of this current series, you only see them together as a couple really for a scene or two. And then you have to break them up in the first film. The second film, you know, she's mad at him for watching TV. And then she goes to Abu Dhabi where she kisses Aiden. And then, you know, 10 years go by and we get one scene of them dancing the Todd Rundgren and we're supposed to give a feel shit. for them. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. I mean, obviously... Of course, uh, we're always going to be invested in the Carrie big drama to some degree, but you're right. It does it does feel unearned because we never get to see them be a happy couple ever. We've seen Carrie and Aiden, and I would say even Carrie and Berger in a healthier relationship dynamic than we've seen Carrie and Big. So it's hard for me to buy into as crazy as it sounds, having known the, these two characters for basically 20 years now that this was the love of her life. No, I'm, I'm totally with you. So to get into this episode, Carrie wakes up in her old apartment, right? So it's the day after the previous episode. I have so many questions about just the staging of Carrie's apartment, what's going on with it. This is revisionist history because this is not the redecorated version of this apartment from the first film, right? And it's not her pseudo Airbnb just for her herself from the second film. Remember that she goes to the apartment to spend a weekend by herself and she really feels like it re-energizes their marriage, which I just kind of assumed that's how they would have kept the apartment in the intervening 10 years. Or at the very least, that's her goddamn office. I can't really see Carrie in a in a WeWork situation. And certainly you would think, since they are referencing the pandemic so much, she would have used her apartment as a place to get away from Big if they were together nonstop for the past year. Anyway, we're, we're such fucking nerds, but this is the stuff that we can't help but notice, you know? I couldn't help but wonder, did Stanford strip the bed from the last time he was there? Is that why it has no sheets? No, I think Stanford has just been sleeping on a bare mattress is what we learned in this episode. He doesn't dare go through Carrie's closet and be like, hmm, should I pull this Dolce & Gabbana jacket to wear to, to keep me warm? I mean, I absolutely loved that. I thought that was so fun to see, you know, some of her most iconic pieces used as makeshift bedsheets. Yes. And as we as we learned with our interview with Molly Rogers two episodes ago, she is the one picking that stuff out. No, no intern is being sent to Sarah Jessica Parker storage units to get these things out of out of storage. Because if you don't know, in Sarah Jessica Parker's contract was that she got to keep Carrie's wardrobe. And I'm sure she has the same note <laughs> in her current contract. Okay, if the apartment is not an apartment, if the apartment is not her office, is it just a closet of some sort? Is it her like auxiliary closet? Yeah, I guess it's just like her what would be a storage unit is this full ass apartment. We also know that this apartment has a very old, disgusting coffee maker. Also, Carrie apparently drinks Cafe Bustello, just, just so we as the audience knows that she keeps it real. No Nespresso for this bitch. Who is she, AOC? <laughs> also, how many times would Carrie have walked by the Nespresso store in Soho on her way to Prada? 
there's no way she doesn't have a Nespresso, okay? That is a weird nostalgia choice, okay? She would have a Nespresso. And also, in one of the, like, three renovations she's done on this apartment since buying it, she would have changed out that gross white oven that we all had in our apartments to a Viking stove. And I know this bitch doesn't cook, but she would have, Anthony would have told her to do it just for the resale value. So I revoke this kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) So because she can't, make coffee in her house she has to go to her local bodega which we've never seen before i mean this is where she was buying all those marlboro lights and according to him he hasn't seen her since she got married in 2008 it is weird like when you move in new york i guess i mean sometimes you say goodbye to your bodega guy this would make a lot more sense if she actually moved away as established she keeps going back to that apartment oh you're right it's like two blocks away Why are we burying the lead? I'm sorry, Chelsea. I've been wanting to bring this up since I watched the episode last week. Is Carrie short for Caroline? Yes. I mean, apparently this was a known fact. And if you do look at Carrie's Wikipedia entry, it has always been Caroline Carrie Bradshaw. I don't remember if this is from the book or what, but apparently like this isn't, it was never mentioned on the show necessarily. Necessarily, but it's like there are a lot of people that are like I did know this clearly we're not mega fans I didn't fucking know evidently the bodega man knew this yeah so on another coffee related storyline Charlotte is getting coffee for LTW two non-fat lattes as if these women drink actual cow's milk I was just gonna say Charlotte would be all up in dairy-free alternatives Yeah, do you think that LTW looks like this from eating dairy? You've got to be kidding me. A woman that needs to whip everyone in shape to to get the film submitted into Sundance in time? I think not. Okay, also, like, I really like Nicole Ari Parker on this show. I think it's becoming increasingly clear to me that fashion-wise, she is very much a stand-in for Samantha. But I do want to say, like, what documentarian looks like this like not to be a bitch but there are some there's a reason why some women become models and date finance guys and other women become documentarian you know yeah not to be rude but she would be a documentarian in quotes i mean (laughs) is there a documentarian that looks this fabulous and if there is like i will take all this back Someone send me receipts, though, because I won't believe it until I see it. At best, the chicest documentarian is wearing that, like, Gucci X North Face collab that just came out. I mean, Agnes Varda did that, did make that documentary about herself, and she was a fashion plate, but in a different kind of way, right? Like, she didn't have the full Pat Field beat. And I am going to go off kilter for a second just because they keep showing Nia Wallace's husband without ever introducing him in these like weird flashes he was in the first episode and oh, then yeah. just for a second they have him they interrupt the Charlotte and LTW picking up coffee to just be like him being like have a good day babe bye and it's like who is he <laughs> I guess we're about to find out I hope we're almost halfway through this show. So Char and LTW have an altercation with the other mommies. So Rose's school is the same location as the Gossip Girl school. Oh, love that fun fact. Thank you for that. 
yeah, it seems like LTW is like a girl you want in your corner. Well, I love this sideshow that seems to be like Rizzolian Isles with Charlotte and LTW just like schooling the other moms. It's good to know that like Charlotte remains the ultimate people pleaser. Right. So was this the scene where they made plans to hang out finally? They did. And I, I really love this uh, Harry colonoscopy subplot. <laughs> I love how Harry's colonoscopy was mentioned four separate times. It it does feel like the writers just want to make sure that like no one is sexually attracted to any man on this show. The second time they mentioned the colonoscopy, because I'm I'm with my parents, my mother just went, okay, the age thing's getting a little egregious. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, the colonoscopy, like the final punchline was very good, but it did make me like less attracted to Harry than I was before. Even less or less? I mean, I always thought that Harry had, you know, that special something. He's hot. I mean, Harry is the realist, which we'll get into during the dinner party scene in a little bit. But anyway, so Charlotte and LTW make plans. And then Charlotte immediately freaks out because she realizes that she doesn't have any other black friends. Well, there's an opening in LTW's schedule, which I noticed in rewatching the episode that Nicole Ari Parker has her phone upside down when she's checking yeah, her calendar. Yeah, I pointed that out too. But Charlotte, again, being the ultimate people pleaser, it's good to know that like one of the original series character traits for a character has not completely gone away. And she completely moves around her schedule and basically all of her friends' schedules to make sure that she has the best dinner party, only to realize there are no Black friends to add to the mix. I found this Charlotte plotline to be quite funny. It felt like a very successful integration of the humor of the original show with the socially conscious perspective of And Just Like That. And yes, it felt true to her character. This feels like a problem that Charlotte would have. Sure, but but then they add that very uncomfortable moment where she forces her neighbor, Shelly Shelly Jackson, who already said no, to basically be like, but don't you want to say yes? And it's like, no, I very clearly texted you. We were busy that night. Like, they could have left it at the previous scene, but they always have to do, like, one thing extra. I thought it was funny because it showed, like, the levels at which she was willing to humiliate herself and torment others to achieve her goal, right? Like, my favorite was when she called Anthony to try and get him to connect her with, like, some Black artist who he he knows. But apparently, Anthony lost all of his contacts because Stanford lit his address book on fire. Let's not pretend that Anthony doesn't have a notes app connected to, from his phone to his computer with all of his uh, little Black book backed up. That's true, but this detail made me realize that I really would have loved a bottle episode that's the Stanford and Anthony version of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, because I think some casual arson would fit in really well there. Well, I mean, that is kind of the issue with this series is it's very interesting that they introduced three new characters, have upped Anthony and at least Stanford up into this episode as supporting cast or part of the main cast only to keep them separate, right? The girls really only come together, I think, last episode and this episode in a singular brunch scene. 
Yeah. And then they're yeah. off on their own adventures, which if you want to do that, what you just suggested is I would love to see a bottle scene. Frankly, I'd love to see a whole series of just the new characters they introduced, LTW, Seema, and uh, Nia Wallace in their own series. Yeah, I mean, that just makes me realize there's something about and just like that that does feel like it's two different shows having a crossover event. <laughs> you know, like how Law & Order SVU does with like Chicago, whatever that Chicago show is, Chicago PD. Uh, Yeah, Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, yeah. Or like Grey's Anatomy and Station 19 or back in the day when the two ER doctors were on Friends in the early season. Exactly. I mean, I think it's starting to feel more natural and cohesive. Obviously, as we previously mentioned, it is hard to have a show feel normal when you have to, to explain who every character is and what they do and what have you. So Miranda is hung the fuck over from the previous <laughs> evening and is accosted by her teenager and his girlfriend, who mentions the fact that we're all adults here, which... Brings up a great point, which a caller brought up, but we didn't play this message. Is Brady fucking 20 or 17? Because technically he's born in the fall of 2001, but according to Miranda, he's 17 and a minor, even though the age of consent is 17 in New York, but whatever. I have no clue. But yes, thank you to that caller for bringing this to my attention anyway. I do love how when they first cut to Miranda in that scene, it's like she has this look on her face, like she's thinking about every terrible decision that she ever made. Like, again, it like feels Bergman-esque, you know? <laughs> and the kids smell pot on her, these fucking narcs. And she's like, you know, last night I went to a comedy concert where there was a lot of alternative types. And it's like, what? Why are you Why are you talking like an elderly conservative woman? I don't understand why they're giving her personality traits that she never had before. It's as if someone who was like 20 was writing how they thought 50-something-year-old people sound. Because only someone who's like a teenager in their early 20s thinks someone who's in their 50s is this old. Yeah, no, it's so true. Also, it sucks because the doofusization of Miranda really hurts me personally because I feel like we've put so much time and effort into reclaiming her and reframing her as an aspirational character. Like, we've been screaming about this on the internet for years. We wrote a whole ass book about it. And I feel like our PR campaign was actually, like, fairly successful. But now this. Look, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist, but it does kind of feel purposeful on Michael Patrick King's part. So I don't know what well, What we do you did. mean? Daddy MPK loves us. I know. We sent him a copy of the book. We never did hear back from him. <laughs> we didn't. Maybe he fucking hated it. Who knows? I like to think he flipped through it once and was like, that seems funny. So the ladies meet for brunch for, for one time only. We get the three of them together. And I just want to say that this isn't alcoholic behavior for the first time when Miranda suggests that they get a bottle. Because the inference is that they each got glasses of wine. It seems to be the same red wine, which is like, no, if you have three people, look, Chell 
Her wife and I constantly go out to lunch. If we each want a glass of wine, you get a bottle. It's just more economically sound. Yeah, like that's the pragmatic part of Miranda talking, not necessarily the alcoholic. Yes, I, I thought that too. It's like, Charlotte, don't make everyone just order individual glasses of wine. What is this? Now, what do we think? Does a different person pick up the tab or are they, are is someone Venmoing someone else when they go out? I think they're just splitting it on cards three ways, you know, keeping it old school. No. No, Carrie pays cash. She's that bitch. She's like, actually, I'm in grief, so I only had this side salad. <laughs> Miranda's like, I don't have a job anymore, so. And Charlotte's like, this is the American Express card that I share with Harry. <laughs> so is this the first time you ever heard the phrase halt? Because it is for me. Oh, no, I've heard that before. So it's a recovery term. Right. So someone in the writer's room is a friend of Bill W. Because how else do you know that phrase? I don't think I don't think it's just I think it's transcended being a recovery term at this point. I think it's entered into the consciousness of people that follow Oprah. But I realized, Chelsea, these are my four states. I am either hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. I have no other mode of operation. So you should just never make decisions ever. Just be really indecisive like me. And that's the crazy thing. I am always making decisions. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, the decisions I'm making when I'm hungry is like, where are we eating? But this this is in relation to Carrie comes back to the apartment, sees the Peloton. We're still being haunted by this fucking Peloton. Also, did you notice that the score during that scene was Hello, It's Me? Yeah, you know, the song we all knew from the series, Hello, It's Me. But yes, Carrie has decided to sell the apartment, which, fine, great. I have, again, I have no emotional attachment to this apartment. I've seen it for two and a half scenes over the last 12 years. (laughs) It's true. Okay, so because she has to sell her apartment, she hires Manhattan's fiercest real estate agent, Seema. Love her. With a personalized license plate. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, I loved her vanity plate. Also, I love that she smokes. It just, you know, keeps it old school. And has her own driver. Very big S. I mean, someone did need to tell Carrie that that brutalist coffee table had to go. Was it even that brutalist? It's like the gross side of it. Also, I have a question about Big's apartment. I understand that Carrie saying that her husband wasn't a fan of beige is a reference to Natasha painting everything beige, but... Big's apartment was pretty neutral before he married Natasha. Yeah. I don't think Big was like the one like picking out those like bold floral wallpapers, but whatever. Clearly he was down for it. She just needed to get another Natasha slam in there. So Seema is like, love your place, but I have to stage it like some boring beige minimal situation so that basic people will buy it. Carrie says, don't people have vision, which I'm like, No, wealthy people don't have vision. Most people don't have vision, Carrie. But secondly, I would say it's an apartment off of Central Park. Doesn't that, on Fifth Avenue, doesn't that kind of sell itself? 
Yeah, totally. In this market post-pandemic? Yeah, exactly. So she agrees and then gets a ride with Seema. Where are they going? Hello, Chelsea. Like, you just got a ride in a chauffeur car to come record this podcast. Of course, Carrie is constantly bumming rides off of people. She's going to record her podcast, which records every week at question mark time. She's also bumming cigarettes off of Seema, more importantly. I have to say, I'm very upset. We had posited... That last episode, the doorman smoking and the camera staying on him was going to foreshadow her bumming a cigarette off the doorman. But that was all for naught. Yeah. I mean, I don't want Carrie to smoke because I do care about her health. But at the same time, it does bring her down to our level. You know, it makes her more of a relatable person. I thought you were going to say it just would make you want to smoke again. No, it, it doesn't really. And I don't smoke, by the way. But, you know, I don't know. There's something about carrying her cigarettes carrying her magical cigarettes <laughs> it just holds a special place in my heart for some reason is that what the grief book is a year of of carrying the magical and her magical cigarettes <laughs> thankfully we are blessed with not a podcast scene but a post podcast scene where she is being berated for not posting on social media enough yeah that reminds me lauren I couldn't help but notice that your socials suck. You haven't posted in three weeks. That's death on social media. Your Instagram is basically a corpse. I know. Who is this bitch? Don't you get it? Because her husband died and she's using death terminology in relation to social media. I just hate that everyone with a social media related job has to be a literal monster. I think the purpose of this scene is to give subplots to supporting characters because we learned that the social media manager, Chloe, ghosted Jackie, the other podcast host, which like I'm not I'm here to see Carrie and Charlotte and Miranda. I really don't need the supporting characters to get their own supporting characters and for them to have subplots. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. It's why I stopped watching the show True Blood. I don't need this done to Sex in the City. Just like I don't need to see Harry urinating, I don't need to see this plot line. I understand that world building is is really big right now in quote unquote IP. I don't need world building in the world of Sex in the City. <laughs> I don't need world building in the world of X, Y, and me. <laughs> Honestly, if you want to drill down even more, as we're saying, if you just want to do bottle characters with the three characters we give a shit about, like, we're fine with this. <laughs> anyway, okay, where are we now? We're with Miranda and Nia Wallace having dinner, which, I'm sorry, is it okay to have dinner with your professor if you're the same generation? What is this saying about power dynamics? I don't know. I think it's fine but it seems like naya invited her out so that she could talk they could talk about some like policies and principles of humanitarian law but it was really just a chat about ivf and how having it all is actually really hard yeah i thought that we left this conversation behind the having it all discourse somewhere in the mid-aughts it never goes away and, and look, Miranda said it, right? It's like, we can't have it all. It's just really fucking hard. Although I don't think that was the standout quote in this scene. I think the standout quote was, there are so many nights that I would love to be a judge that goes home to an empty house. But then I see Brady fucking some chick in his bedroom and I think it all seems worth it. 
we've known the character of Miranda Hobbs since 1998. That has never come out of her mouth. That she aspired to be a judge? We knew she aspired to make partner. Well, I mean, I think that's the ultimate job for a lawyer, right? Being a federal judge is like being like Anna Wintour or like Kamala Harris. I guess. I do find it funny that she doesn't mention Tania. Like, you seem to really want a kid because you're trying all this IVF. Like, I accidentally got pregnant. So I'm I'm stuck with this idiot that, like, is constantly just fucking in the room next to me. Even though I allow this. Even though he should be in college, but he is 17? I don't know. <laughs> so now I think Carrie and Seema are at an open house. For what end? Could this not have been Miranda and Carrie at an open house? I don't know. They tried to make this apartment look tacky by adding some cheesy bachelor pad type stuff, but it was actually stunning. Like, I don't love an exposed, rusted steel beam, but like, you can paint over that shit. Yeah, and I guess they're trying to show Carrie what her potential nightmare is in a dating scenario by having the kind of 2021 equivalent of Remember that really gross yoga guy that hits on Samantha when she moves into that building? No. Do you remember the guy that fucks her when she doesn't think she has her period anymore and then she gets her period? Yes. Okay. That guy. He's like the 2021 equivalent of that dude. (laughs) To which Carrie, when she rebuffs him, says to Seema, in the 90s, we all dated the 50-year-old guy who lives here. Which I'm like... But I never got the vibe. I get that, you know, Carrie dated an older man and Mr. Big, but I never got the vibe that like 20 something year old Carrie was fucking around with 50 year olds. I mean, wasn't Mr. Big 50? I always got that. I I think it was like a 12, 15 year age difference between Carrie and Big. Okay. I mean, yeah, she would have gone for some older guys. Let's face it. And then I think we get our first cosmopolitan scene in this of the series where uh, Carrie and Seema are having cosmos and talking about the dreary dating scene. Also, what is this bar with all the little plates on the walls? It's quirky. <laughs> it is very quirky. I do miss extras. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize I miss, missed extras, but I miss them. Because, you know, I get that it's coronavirus and I understand that filming this show was difficult and we have to keep SJP healthy and that all makes sense. But I just miss random people, you know? I think they use their their extra quota in the Che Diaz comedy concert taping. Yeah, they probably do. They like film that last just so they're like, okay, they can all get COVID now and it wouldn't be the end of the world. Yeah. So then then we get to LTW has a cancellation and Charlotte is invited over to her house. Right. And her fabulous apartment, might I say. Uh, yes, which those who watch the show Succession, that would be Kendall's ex-wife's apartment that you see in episode two of this current season. Yeah, that, that spiral staircase is um, unmissable. I really hate a spiral staircase. (laughs) Oh, really? I love one. You're crazy for that one, Lauren. So like right off the bat, this apartment is insane. She has the craziest contemporary art collection. She clearly has a really major florist also. Well, but this is this is the moment what I referenced earlier of Harry being the realist because Charlotte's like, you tell me three contemporary black writers right now. And he's like, can I just say I like Michelle Obama, which is like. Yes, that is the appropriate white person answer. It's embarrassing, but it's accurate. 
<laughs> so Charlotte and Harry come in and they realize that they are the that they are in fact the minority because everyone there is black. Which that's a great take on it, except they then have to have Charlotte immediately go up to a woman and think she's a different black woman. Yeah, that's that was really terrible and painful to watch. And I'm, I almost pieced out of the episode, but we do do a recap podcast, so I couldn't, I couldn't exit. So during this dinner, it is revealed that in addition to being a full-time mom, Charlotte is on the board at the Met. Classy. Do you think that she voted to take the Sackler name down? <laughs> Unfortunately, I think she might be uh, on the PTA board with one of the Sacklers, so I don't know about that one. <laughs> I like to think that she, she voted yes. She she has a heart. Reluctantly, but then she called the Sackler that she knows and she goes, you know, I just, it was out of my hands. Yeah, they, they need a hot Sackler mom in, uh, in, in just like that. <laughs> but anyway, for the first time, I think in this series, they've taken the good that they've established of the character to kind of work in this new world that they built, which is Charlotte uses her art expertise to, uh, I guess, redeem LTW in her mother-in-law's eyes, who thinks that she's wasting the family's fortune on these uh, stupid pieces of contemporary art. Okay, well, one thing doesn't check out here, which is that women of a certain age that wear spiky, Izzy Miyake-esque tops love contemporary art. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this... This bitch, like, loves that shit. Like, who's anti-art that dresses like that? Anyway. I also don't believe that this uh, LTW's mother-in-law, one, wouldn't know who Gordon Parks is, and two, not think that that was a good purchase and investment. I Yeah, I think it's important to note that these are, like, highly, highly recognizable pieces. Like, the Gordon Parks, the Barkley L. Hendricks are literally, like, their most famous works, you know? Micheline Thomas is so recognizable and famous also did you know that she named her daughter junior ray after junior watanabe and ray kawakubo wow well there goes your baby's name i know right i love this detail and also did you know that gordon parks was already in the sex in the city metaverse (laughs) did i tell you about this yes i i do but tell our audience okay so candace bushnell told me that she used to date Gordon Parks in the late 70s. Like, there are receipts. He took a photo of her outside the Plaza Hotel, very Carrie, in like a full equestrian outfit. When she comes on the pod, we have to ask her about this because I'm really fascinated. So just to wrap up Charlotte's storyline for the episode, her and LTW have a postmortem and they laugh about the fact that Charlotte was scared that LTW and her husband were the only black couple they knew. And then LTW says, you're the only white couple we know. Ha 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 ha. It all worked out in the end. That felt like a very modern family storyline, but. Totally. I think it worked. I think it worked. I think that the ending and the end beat really worked, but boy, was that some rocky execution between the Charlotte talking to the neighbor and the mistaking the person at the party. I think, though, it's supposed to be funnier maybe than you think it is. (laughs) And maybe it's funnier to other people. I think the intention is that this is comedic, but... I think sometimes maybe for the viewer or maybe for us, just because we're awkward and white, maybe it feels more uncomfortable than it is. You know what I mean? 
Sure. You know, we each feel an ownership of these characters and to see them acting in a way that we don't like them acting is probably upsetting as well. And Yeah, it's true. We're we're embarrassed on their behalf. Like there are moms or something. Speaking of getting embarrassed, we have uh, Carrie, who uh, I guess the Peloton is is her version of It Follows, because <laughs> during uh, Seema's beigeification of her apartment, she puts a Peloton back in. So Carrie has to take Big in a Barney's bag back <laughs> to the apartment. That See, that was the perfect amount of nostalgia mixed in with this kind of new storyline that they want to tell. That yeah, I, I thought was it. perfect, yeah. I loved that. That was perfect. So they do the showing of the house. And again, I've been meaning to mention this since the first episode. Seema reveals that a that a picture that was on the bedside table cracked. And it is a photo from season two where Big takes Carrie to an Italian restaurant and starts singing. And it's a production photo. But in the world of Sex in the City, when was this photo taken? Yeah, who took this photo? Okay, again, we're being such fucking nerds picking these details apart, but of course we notice them. We can't not. It's important. Yeah. So Carrie is pissed because he touched that glass. That kind of element of grief, for some reason, it resonated with me. That made sense. That just the, her state of mind of like, it doesn't make sense, but it perfectly makes sense. That it's like, it's not about fixing the glass. He touched that glass. Totally. Well, points were made by both both of them, I think, to which Seema said, I'm sorry I offended you, but also like you offended me the other day at the plates on the wall place with no other patrons when you said, that's great that you're still looking, still looking. Maybe I'm jealous that you had all those years with the love of your life and I have yet to meet my dream man. Again, they're 50. They're not fucking dead. <laughs> well, you know, that's a lot of that's a lot of dating. Uh, and then Carrie apologized. And just like that, they began their real friendship. All right. Here's what I want to bring up. Because <laughs> I'm in, you know, I'm in my 30s. And I'm already like no new friends. <laughs> okay, that's fucked up. You should not have that mentality at all. No one should. Also, we completely forgot to talk about how Stanford oh was written God. off because I guess it was just such a minor detail of the episode that, like, why oh, even think about it? That's right. She goes back to her. Yeah, she takes the Barney's bag with Big's cremated remains back to her old apartment where she gets a Dear John letter from Stanford. I think also a lot of this show where it sometimes feels like, was it a round peg in a square hole? Like it doesn't exactly fit is there's a lot of outside factors that have to be addressed within the show, whether it is the lack of diversity from the original series or a beloved character being in ill health and passing away. <laughs> so sometimes you have to write things that don't exactly make sense. Although I do love the acknowledgement that Stanford is evidently still a manager. But this is like, it's like, I forgot he even had a job. Have we talked about his job since like season one? No, I evidently, you know, like Samantha having to move on to greener pastures and, you know, the publishing industry not being what it was. I guess the management industry wasn't what it was. And Stanford now needs to go to Japan to manage a TikTok star. On a tour of Japan? Like how big, there's only so many major cities in Japan. I'm sorry. How long is this tour lasting? Indefinitely. I think my favorite line from the episode is, 
I think it's Carrie who said when Anthony explains he didn't want to disappoint you and she goes, what is he, the lost Bronte sister? That that felt like some OG dialogue. Yeah, I loved that. I also loved when he was like, I don't get this TikTok chick because I'm old gay and not Japanese. Again, with the best jokes. Always. I know. I'm realizing, Chell, I think that I, one, I have a new appreciation for Anthony and I love him. And I think that I am a Miranda Sun, a Carrie Rising, and an Anthony Moon. And am I a demon? <laughs> I've never related more to Anthony than I do uh, in this current incarnation. Like, to me, Anthony used to be, like, the really mean, toxic, like, problematic character that just, like, came around to make people feel like shit. But now I feel like he's just, like, a beam of sunshine. Now, do you think he's gotten better or we've gotten worse? And that's we've how we're meeting in the middle. <laughs> They're old and not Japanese. Yeah, it was sad to see this <laughs> because obviously we know that Stanford is never coming back. It feels like a sad, maybe not totally flushed out way for him to exit. Um it feels like he didn't really get a moment, but it's like, I understand, like, and I, I completely empathize with the writers. Like, what a terrible situation to be in. Which I think is is fine. I mean, the Anthony that we've seen, I think he's a great Samantha replacement. If the preview for the next episode's any indication, he will be kind of the mainstay of brunch scenes. Yeah, I just want more Anthony. So yeah, that was the episode. As I mentioned, the and just like that was and just like that, we began our real friendship. Uh, and as I say, and just like that, no new friends. <laughs> the door is closed. I have the friends. Just to go back to that brunch scene uh, when Charlotte's trying to convince Carrie to go to the dinner party and Carrie goes, I see people all day long. I live in a city. And it's like, they are still cunts to each other. Like Chelsea, you and I are bitches, but like, if you spoke to me the way that Carrie is speaking to Charlotte or vice versa, I'd be like lights out on the friendship. We had a good run. <laughs> this obviously isn't working anymore. Well, she's very grief stricken, you know, you're no one's their best self in these sorts of situations. I'm giving Carrie a pass. All right. Did we do final thoughts? Did I already say this? I forget. I think I've said my final thoughts. No new friends. And yeah. if we're this cunty to each other in our 50s, Chelsea, I'm just going to pull the plug on our friendship. <laughs> that sounds good. Okay. So shall we move on to something even more upsetting? Yeah, no, pass. <laughs> No, 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 we can get into it. <laughs> okay. I'm like, I thought we were going to talk about it, Lauren. Of course, we are talking about Chris Noth's rape allegation. Was that a good transition? There's no good transition when it comes to this. No. I mean, I'm glad that we waited to talk about this until now because I did need a minute to process it. And I always think it's wise to take a beat before you participate in canceling someone, even if they totally deserve it. But do you know who doesn't think that anyone deserves time to comment on this stuff? It would be the internet. Who knew the internet was such a cunt? <laughs> Honestly, though, we have gotten so much shit. The actresses from the show have gotten so much shit for not commenting on it quickly enough, appropriately enough, whatever. 
It's really, really gross. This is a Chris Noth problem, not an us problem, not a Cynthia Kristen SJP problem. No, and it's interesting. Look, guys, we started this account five years ago. It was a hobby. It's become a career we could never imagine. Well, it's become a job, but we could never imagine that a new series would happen, nor did we ever think that people would ask of us to comment on a situation of a person we don't know. And if we didn't comment, then we are siding with a rapist. I know. I love protecting rapists. It's my it's my hobby. Anyway, so since the initial Hollywood Reporter article came out, two more women have come forward to accuse Chris Noth. SJP, Kristen Davis, Cynthia Nixon put out a joint statement on Instagram stories, which said, we are deeply saddened to hear the allegations against Chris Noth. We support the women who have come forward and shared their painful experiences. We know it must have been a very difficult thing to do, and we commend them for it. Signed, Cynthia, SJP, Kristen. Yeah, it really shows that there's really no right way or there's no universally acceptable way to talk about something like this because when we didn't immediately condemn Chris Noth we got tons of messages when we did post some share some of these articles we got messages like this was extremely triggering this is a sex in the city account this isn't the place and then when we posted <laughs> a video of Lauren throwing a photo of him in the trash that was generously gifted to us by HBO. We got more shit than we've gotten for anything, I think. Oh, I guess you guys are the judge and jury. What happened to due process unfollow? Yeah. By the way, I'm just going to take the time to say that if you DM us that you are unfollowing us for any reason, whether you feel like we've spoiled the show or we are (laughs) siding with a rapist or vilifying someone accused of sexual assault, I am going to go ahead and block you so that you can never have access to the account again. So I just want that to be known. Yes. And also, like, stop harassing the stars of your favorite television show. Disagree with anything we're saying? We have a hotline. (laughs) Yes, we do. Call it. And we've been loving all of your calls, by the way. Even if we haven't been playing them, we love. Yes. And we are still a two-person company. So we are the ones listening to all of your voicemails. So no need to say, I don't even know, Lauren and Chelsea, if you're going to listen to this. We do. We do. We listen to all of them. So thank you. So give us a ring at 323-486-6773. And we will be back next week to talk about episode five. Bye. Bye.